All right, anybody streaming the Jaguars game right now? Uh-huh, uh-huh, I've seen a few cameras. Uh-huh, I see what's going on. Oh my goodness, I, I loved, that was, it's been an amazing morning, all morning, just, uh, just worship. You know, I love that, just centering everything on the cross of Jesus Christ, it, it never fails. It's what my heart needs, it's, it's the reminder that I need that, um, that life is about something bigger than the stuff swirling around my small little universe uh, and the things that I think about and the things that I think are important. And uh, God just comes in and sweeps in during worship and just resets the heart. And it's so good. Um, and then, yeah, and then you get to laugh and, and carry on during the, the hosting time with Leslie. That was amazing. Um, I was thinking about meat and men eating animals together and the, like the vegetarian options. It just, would a, would a vegetarian go to meat? Like, would that be the thing that they're like, man, we're going to go to the meat gathering. I mean, telling all, their fr- all the vegetarian friends, like, what are you doing this weekend? Going to meat. Men eating animals together, because that fits right with my ethos of being a vegetarian. Um, so we might just X out the vegetarian options of meat. Anyway, I love the nervous laughter. I'm like, <laughs> my friend's a vegetarian. I ate a kale burger last night. <laughs> um, sorry. Uh, it's 11.15. This is what you get when you come to the late one. This is what happens. This is what happens. Well, we're in our, our anchor series, as Leslie was talking about. And I, I love that this is so much more than just about who we are as Ocean City Church. Like, I never want to make it just about, about us and our, you know, this is the way that we do it. And this is the best way to do it. You know, we've got our anchor values and these are great. Uh, but really, we love our values and mainly because they're, they are rooted deeply in Scripture, it's why we start out with Jesus is everything. It's why we, we move quickly from that to uh, the cross on display and that those really are the anchors of the anchor values. And it's really, you know, values are, when you, when you talk about values in a church or values in an organization or um, culture, it really, instead of having rules, things that you're allowed to do and not supposed to do, uh, things like this is the way that we do life. You know, this is the way that the church acts and these are the things that you can do and you can't do. Um, values in creating culture gets deeper. It gets to the heart. Like the reason why I, you know, instead of, you know, telling somebody how to, you know, when they're hosting, um, you know, an event here, you know, what, what, what do we do? Getting around the idea of understanding our, who we are in Jesus, that our approval, everything that we are uh, comes in and through Jesus, that we're not here to just, you know, figure out how to, how to please everyone in the room, but because Jesus has, um, you know, given us all that we need in approval, then instead of giving you what we think you might want, uh, we're, God allows us to open the word of God and give you what you need. Not worried about what you, you know, whether or not you like us or not, but we want to, we want to love you well. And, and that's what, as a church, how we want to treat, treat each other. So when you think about the values, we think of them that way. These are values of the heart. These are the way we begin to transition the heart. It's not just about how we interact with one another here, which it is. It's about what we do, like what Ephesians 4 says, how we unify under the gospel and how we bear with one, each other, uh, bear with one another in love. Uh, but it's also about how we, as followers of Jesus, outside these walls, we would, we would wanna represent and reflect the amazing God that we follow. Um, and I, I love the value this week, it matters, because it is one of those ones that's like, what does that mean? I remember we were coming, like walking through the language, like you're in a room trying to figure out, you know, how do we say this? We knew, we knew what the value was, but how do we say um, it matters? And what, is that, what does that even mean? Like the, the, the detail, basically the, the essence of it is that the, the details matter. How we do things as a church, how we do things as Christians, and what we reflect to the outside world, it matters. And I, I 
I like this value because it, it creates some tension, I think, when it comes to church. And pastors love tension. Uh, because that, that's, we, it, it brings us to that place where we all of a sudden have to lean in and listen and say, okay, how, how does scripture resolve this? How does the Bible, how does God resolve this tension? And the tension really around the value it matters is this. Like, well, for me, I, was, I grew up with an it matters guy, my dad. Um, he was, he, you know, went to the Citadel, grew up in a military family. Everything was so highly organized. I mean, like it, just nuts. Like he, he knew all of his suits in his closet were organized by day. The tie that went with that suit was wrapped around it. My mom knew how to organize all the deal. If one was going, like he had all the things that were going to the dry cleaners over here. They looked just as clean as these things. I don't know why they didn't even look like that because he was so neat and tidy, but one button was unbuttoned. That let you know it's time for that to go to the dry cleaners. And then he could tell you like in October of the next year, what he was doing in life. Like my dad would call me sometimes and go, uh, hey, what do you do in October of, it'd be like 2012. And he'd be like, October 2nd, 2018. What I was thinking we could do. And I'm like, are you, I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow, bro. Like he just, every, and whenever, this is how I grew up too. Like anything that would get, you mess something up or miss a dinner or, you know, you know, forget something, mom's birthday or something like that. He'd whip out his calendar. It was all written down. No, he, no iPhone, none of that's all. And his thing, he's like, hey, you write it down, no pressure. You put it in there, you're gonna remember it, right? That's what happens. You are, and he, the seven Ps. I don't anybody, anybody knows, military family, seven Ps. I knew them very well as a kid because they got repeated to me all the time. Proper prior planning prevents piss poor performance. And so my dad would tell me, this is how, this is how you live life. You gotta, you gotta plan it out. You gotta decide. He, my dad, when you take that test of whether you enjoy the event more or you enjoy leading up to the event, planning the event, my dad would check planning the event. Like the excitement of figuring out and talking about it. You know, Jack Wire's in here rehashing it. You know, talking about, talking about it afterwards. You know, let's talk about what happened, how good the food was, how good the surf was. That was my dad. He was that way with everything. I mean, my dad, at a very young age, probably two or three, I learned the word debris. Um, I knew what it meant. I just, I mean, debris. He was like, why is your, my dad's, you know, Mississippi, Alabama, so it'd be debris. Why is your debris in here? Like he was so OCD. If you touched a pack of crackers in his, near his car, like it was like that crinkle of the cracker, you know what I mean? He just, I mean, you could see it just did something to him. Um, I mean, my brother, when we got older, we would lick our finger and just touch his rear view mirror. Like one, one finger went, he would get in the car and whoom, immediately look and then look at us, you know, reach back there, try to hit us, you know. But his cars were impeccable. Everything was just so. And everything to my dad, all of those details in life, his yard, everything that he did, it mattered. And for me, I remember being a teenager and just not thinking it mattered. You know, I just was like, it's just the way, the way dad is. It doesn't, does it really matter? Like, does it matter that everything is just so? And again, there was an extremeness to my dad and his OCD nature of how everything had to be. And, um, but as I got older, I also asked the question about church. Like I went on my, like my first mission trip early, early 2000, like in the early 2000s. And you go to a, the poorest county in a forward area in a third world country 
and you serve and you're like the hands and feet of Jesus. Not only do people, everybody needs to hear about Jesus, but you go to places where they, they need to be fed first, like to, before their ears could be open to hearing the gospel. They need to, you know, they need a meal. They need things taken care of. They have a child with special needs that doesn't even have a wheelchair, has to sit in bed. I mean, you just, your heart just gets wrenched out, especially that first mission trip where you, like God shows you, hey, there is a universe, there's a world outside of yours where people need you, where the finances, resources, the time, the energy of the world needs to go in that direction. And it brings, it beautifully awakens something in the heart of a follower of Jesus or any human being, um, if you've got some compassion in you. So you come back and then you experience Western church. And like, I think, I think some of us have probably experienced that where you look around at the way that we do church in the coffee in the foyer, the confidence monitor, all the stuff that's in church and you wonder, does this matter? Does any of this really matter? You know, why don't we, and I've heard this many times from missionary friends of mine, like, you know, we spend way too much time, energy, money, all this stuff in this corner when people have no idea. They could, they could spend a whole lot less money on these things and send a whole lot, export a whole lot more money overseas to the people that really need it. Why do we do all this stuff? Why this stuff doesn't really matter, Right? So that's what, that's what in the scene, there's some tension in there. You're like, does it really, how's he gonna answer this one? Cause it does it really matter. Does all the stuff, does the way that we do like spending money on a, a, you know, a $1,500 speaker, does any of that matter? And honestly, I've asked the question about the church over the years, what matters? You know, and I actually saw a post on Instagram. This was a, several years ago. Well, it was actually right when uh, I think Francis Chan's, when one of his, uh, his latest books came out, uh, Letters to the Church. And somebody posted a, a excerpt from it, just about you know the the status of the Western Church, and it made me think about it. Like, what what is it that we what does really matter in church? How we operate, how we act, the things that we do, um, and certainly there's a line of excess and opulence and things in church that kind of make you sick to your stomach sometimes. Um, but what about the details? Do the details matter in church? Do the, the, in terms of the way that we execute what we do. And, and not only that, more importantly, when we're getting to the heart of things outside of church, in the world, with our friends, with our family, in our workplace, what are the things that matter? You know, why do we waste money, people, resources on certain things um, when it comes to carrying the gospel? Why does it matter? So I want to answer that question. And the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to read our value um, and that'll get us part of the way there. But every, anytime you put something in writing, it's always a good explanation, but it's always, it, it, you purposely leave it a little bit incomplete. So I'll read the value and then we'll dig in. Our value, it matters, says, before people hear us, they see us. Our God is the creator who cares about the details. So we do too. And all we do, we wanna reflect his heart to others. A heart that cares and is intentional. It matters that our environment is inviting and clean and beautiful, and we put effort into design and experience. Creativity is a reflection of our incredible creator. And while we don't desire to be pretentious and overly extravagant, we strive to be thoughtful, welcoming, inspirational, and winsome. We leave places better than we find them, and we are thorough planners because we believe it is an opportunity to reflect our God who is innovative and productive. We believe every opportunity to care for others and reflect Jesus is a big deal. So we look for ways to improve our surroundings and our times together. 
So that's the value. But let's dig a little deeper. What, is it, what does it look like for us? And why do we believe that it matters? Like there's, there's things when, we, when it comes to church, where's the, like where is the line of being overly, like we've got it all together and we've produced our, our church gatherings this way. When we go to work, this is the way that we do things. And, you know, we, we're, the details are the most important thing. You know, where's, where's the line for us as followers of Jesus? What, is it, what does it look for us? And why does it matter? Number one, the reason it matters is we are image bearers and ambassadors of the creator. We're image bearers and ambassadors of the creator. And I think you get that sense as, as you read the value. But what's interesting is right at the very beginning, the first words of scripture lead us in that direction. If you got your Bible in Genesis chapter one, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. There was nothing. It was the empty canvas, right, of, of where we are now. And the creative and innovative God looked into the darkness that was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then what are the next words? They were, they're all the creative out of nothing. There's what? Creation. There's the, the artistic rendering of planet earth. Everything that we've experienced that's beautiful, that's wonderful, comes from the heart of an innovative creator. When I walk out on 7th Avenue and I look and I see the sunset and there's a little bit of cloud cover, but... Uh, the, the, the sun begins to beam through and it just paints the sky orange and purple. You see that God is innovative. When you stand at the edge of a cliff, you know, or the edge of a mountain and you look out in the morning or the evening, or you look up at the stars at night, you, you realize the same thing that the psalmist realized. How majestic is your name, O God, the creator of the universe. You set the sun, the moon, the stars in place. How beautiful is it? And what a great reminder that he's mindful of us, that he cares for us, that he knit, knit us together in, in our mother's womb. He's innovative and he's creative. But not only that, if you jump down into to Genesis just a little bit further, what does it say about us and how we were created? So God created what? Mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You and I are creative. And you might not think that. Maybe you're, you know, he's the creative person and, you know, I'm not. This is the creative one and I'm not. This is the artistic one and I'm not. But the reality is, is all of us are creative in different ways. It's the diversity of the body of Christ. But every single one of you was individually fashioned, was created by the creator and you are image bearers. All of you have innovation in you. All of you have creation in you. In uh, Desiring God, um, there's a, a guy that writes uh, amazing articles named um, Stephen Altrog, and he says this. He says, God, the greatest of all creators, the one who fashioned the sun, the humpback whale, and the Great Dane. I love that he put Great Dane because I'm like, there's a lot of different things in this, like the dog. But that's, I mean, if you see a Great Dane, it is one of those things you look at and you're like, man, that is an incredible animal. He made us in his image. The divine image has been stamped on us. We alone are made in the image of God. We are, the, we are that in creation, there's nothing like us. You know, it's not about us. It's about him and what he, he has done, but he did create in us. He's made us, as, as many philosophers have said, the pinnacle uh, of creation. And God has given us what? He's given us the glorious task of representing him on earth. Again, do you feel this is how we're leaning towards? So it does matter how we operate. It does matter how we display his glory and how we display his beauty in everything that we do, right? Of showing the world 
what our God is really like, of showing the watching world that our God is a creative master who loves to bring beauty out of chaos. You know, I, I was thinking about, you know, the, this value and, and, and why does it matter? And I think what's incredible and what's excited me over the years, even thinking about being in ministry is I think how in my own mind and I think how church has changed in a good way. Like people could, you could throw rocks at, you know, you know, the church and sit in the peanut gallery and be mad because churches have this or do church this way. And you see some, you know, creative, you know, produced department of the church and you can get, you can get cynical. But the beautiful thing is I feel like it's expanded what it means to be a part of the church, what it means to be a part of the family of the church, to go beyond just attending a church building, but really belonging to a family. And what, it, what that means, that in other words, who can play, right? Who is a part of the mission of God? Who are the ambassadors that are carrying? It says in 2 Corinthians that because we've been, been you know, raised with Christ, because he who had no sin took on sin on our behalf, that we carry that amazing news that Jesus took on our sin and we, we take his righteousness and he changes everything about who we are and we are reconnected with God, that we take that amazing news to the rest of the world. How we do that, Jesus just opens up the canvas to the church and to all different kinds of people. And the people that are good at this, they leverage that for the glory of God. And I was just, Beth said this this week and I thought it was genius. Imagine, and I, and I can see this. Like I, I've definitely heard from people that have gotten very bitter and cynical about the church, especially the Western church. Um, about the way that we do church and you know, what we spend money on, what resources are spent on, what we talk about, just different, different things and aspects of church. And she said this, she said, what, you know, you can, she said, imagine a missionary that is laser focused, but makes the mistake of going to Michelangelo when he was a child and grabbing the crayon as he was crafting his art and throwing it down and saying, hey, son, this doesn't matter. Don't forget the mission of God. Why do you need a crayon? And how tragic would it be to end the career of someone that offset the glory of God in a beautiful, majestic way that is, has stood the test of time and, and history to take it out of the, the creative person's hand, the organizer's hand, the administrator's hand that makes a way and paves a way for people to experience the unending ocean of grace. That would be tragic to say that this does matter and this doesn't matter. So the way that, imagine the guy that's just can crush it on the lighting console. And I don't mean to make it all about church and production, but there's people that are, that's just their thing, man, where they put these lights and how this, like, you don't even know subconsciously what happens, but they can transition the service service and make you feel something different just by changing a scene. They're like, ship, 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 whoop. Zzz. Oh, I guess the hosting's happening now. And you don't even know it. They've done it with lighting. You know, they're paving the way. They're, 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 crea they're removing distractions for all of us that we might be ushered into the presence of God in a creative corner that you wouldn't even think about. But they're like, man, this is my, my jam. I don't, I, I, this is kind of where God's placed me. In this moment in time, I'm fired up about this and I dig this and this is what I do. Imagine taking the crayon out of Michelangelo's hand. Of course, we don't wanna do that. And we've got, what I, what I love about the church is across, and I think about how God reaches people. Like for me, I mean, in scripture, I mean, this is one thing that, that I love about 
the, how church has changed over the, like some people are like, man, church used to be awesome. It was all about this and it was very simple. And this is kind of the way that it, it went. For me, I didn't dig church in the 80s. I'm just saying, I'm surprised anybody got saved with that music and how bad it was in the 80s. I mean, seriously. I mean, God is really alive because people got saved in the 80s, you know? Because he, he had to fight through horrible contemporary Christian music. So for me, like God, but my, my wife woke up to the beauty of who Jesus was before, like two years before, before me. And she knew I was very, very passionate about music, was a musician, musician, played with friends on the weekends and loved it. And she prayed every day. And I didn't even know it, that she's like, God, take what he loves in music, transition that and, and leverage that to, to capture his heart for Jesus. And my entryway into church, into a relationship with Jesus came through music. And I was so glad that people gave a rip about good music because the church was always second rate. It was always second best. It was like the world was crushing it in culture when it came to music. And you go to church and just be like, hoping the guy did okay. You're just praying for him. Oh Lord, let Timmy, Timmy hit the note. Oh, we got, oh, Timmy. You know, you wanted to, I just wanted to say, Timmy, tune your guitar, man. Just tune your guitar. And then all of a sudden, music became, became a thing. Like all of a sudden, worship music was in, like people, the worship music was as good or better than some of the things that I was hearing on the radio. And God back-ended me into the kingdom of God in and through the excellence because somebody thought it mattered how we craft this, how we create this, that we would be like David and know our instrument and play skillfully as unto the Lord. It does matter. It's the way that God reached my heart. And I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He's talking of the body of Christ and he's saying, everybody has a place. Don't think for a second that, that you are not, all of you are not plan A as the ambassadors that are carrying the gospel to the world. Don't think it's me or anybody else that stands on this stage. It's us. It's the church. We, and he, he does it in so many different ways. It's the beauty of the church. We are all unified. One idea, one heartbeat, one voice singing about who Jesus is, his death, burial, and resurrection, but people that are completely passionate about completely opposite things. And the apostle Paul says it right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He's talking about the physical body, making it in relationship to the body of Christ as it's done through the, he does this through the epistles, but he says it so clearly here. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. He says, on the contrary, listen to this. This is so good. And somebody needs to hear this today. Those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. You think your corner of the universe is useless. You think you have no place in the kingdom of God and doing something, carrying the name of Jesus. And I'm telling you, the thing that you're passionate about, the thing that you love, the thing that you're fired up about, I'm telling you, God wants to leverage that for his glory. We just saying that God will take sin and brokenness and devastation and disease and cancer, and he can take that and he can, from the ashes and the 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 brutal nature of, of suffering. He can lead people to himself. He can turn that story around. What the enemy intended for evil, he will use it for your good. If he can do that, then certainly he can take your gift. He can take what you're passionate about as obscure and strange as you might think it might be. 
and use it for the glory of God. I've seen it time and time again. It's what makes, this is what I love about church. It's what I've loved about leading Ocean City Church. Not about getting up here, but about being with a bunch of you people and discovering and seeing the amazing nature of the, the talented and gifted people that come into this, this place and into this space and have used it for the glory of God. Don't think for a second that you've got the, I've got the thing that's worthless. The apostle Paul would say, and the word of God says, no, the thing that you, that the world sees as the weaker thing is the indispensable thing. And we've got, I love, we have people that we consider, we don't have, you know, officially volunteer staff, but we have them. We've got people that work just as hard as our staff during the week, like doing, doing stuff that like all of us are working hard and grinding it out and moving chairs and taking out trash and doing menial tasks. But we have people that aren't paid that come and they make Costco runs for us, picking up, you know, 450 water bottles. I mean, and to the glory of God, like to, to do something and to create something that to make a way, to clear away the distraction so that people could experience the unending ocean of grace and the, and the ease in which we can come into church and experience worship. You know, people that do the finances for free, come in here, do the books, do, do the deposits. And it's the same way in life. It's the same way outside of these walls. It does matter. It matters to God and it matters to us, the way that we work and the way that we do things. I mean, with that, number two really goes with, with number one, that he is creative, but not only is God creative and we're creative, but God uses everything, just like we were saying. He can use disaster, but he can also use everything that we do to lead people home. God uses everything to lead people home because he's innovative. He, he leverages so many different things. The apostle Paul says in Romans, and speaking of using everything to lead people home, he says, when we see, look how God, every, everything that God created, since what, we, what may be known about God is plain to them. He's talking about, he's talking, speaking to the Roman church, but he's saying this is everybody that's alive and can open their eyes, can breathe clean air, can eat a good meal, can, can know this, that God, everything is, is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, what we see, we don't see God himself, but we see what he's created, his eternal power, his divine nature. It's clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. This is how we know. We experience things. We experience things. We see things. We, 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 live, we live at the beach. I mean, we walk out. I mean, there's certain days you walk out to the ocean and even, even if you've lived here for the last 25 years, it takes your breath away. And what does it make you think? Wow, I'm small. And there's something bigger and greater than me that created that. When we look up in the sky, we do the same thing. So God uses everything to lead people home, creation, and he also uses you, the whatever you do. The whatever you do, it says in Colossians 3, 23, it says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. I think that is leaning towards excellence. As for working for the Lord, not human masters. This isn't about working hard for your boss so your boss likes you. You should honor your boss. Your boss should like you because of the way that you work. But it's not about his approval. It's that you're working for God. So, and I love that it says whatever you do. It's not like what you do. It's whatever you do. That's pretty broad. It's like superlative, superlative. It's like whatever you do. It includes everything. It's a catch-all bucket. Whatever you do, do it with excellence as unto the Lord. 
Work heartily with all your heart. I love that because it's so, it's so inclusive and it lets me know that no matter what I'm doing, no matter where I am, I can reflect God's heart, that my job matters. This is one of the things I thought about as, as I got into ministry. One of the things that frustrated me is, this is, a, this is a knock on the church, actually. I wasn't gonna, you know, I always try to say, I'm not really knocking the church, but that's just a preface for I'm getting ready to knock the church. Um, but when I, when, I, when I went into, I had worked in corporate world for, you know, 10, 11 years, and I transitioned into ministry. I remember going to work the first day and being there, and it was like me and Antley Fowler, we were the only ones there. It's like, we had a staff of 21. I was like, where's everybody? And they're like, yeah, they just don't come in really early. On their own, or on time. Um, and I was like, well, don't, people, don't people have to work? Like, don't we have to be at work? I'd look at him like, are we supposed to be at work? And then I'd go to meetings and there'd be like, I, I would be there, you know, five minutes early or 10 minutes early. And I'd be waiting for somebody else. And I'd be meeting another person in ministry or somebody else from another church or whatever. And they'd be like 15 minutes late or 20 minutes late. And I'm just like looking at my watch going, you know, I got other things like this meeting's just about over, you know, where, where, where is everybody? And I learned that that was like par for the course that people that worked in ministry were going to be 10, 15 minutes late to everything. And it may be a little bit of my dad in me, um, but I'm like, come on, man, we should be the, be we should be the, on the top end. We should be the ones that say, whatever we do in word or deed, we work heartily as unto the Lord. We're early. We're there with, we're smiling. Not because we're trying to show everybody that we're better than everybody else, but because God has resurrected us from the dead, that death's been arrested and we're alive. And I show up, I'm ready to work. I want, I want to be a city on a hill, not to say I'm better than everybody else, because I want to lead an army of people to worship God. And part of that goes down to the granular level that it matters when I show up, how I show up, how I work. I want my boss to think, I don't know what it is about that guy, but that dude crushes it every day. He's in here. He's on time. All of my clients, they, I don't know what it is. They, they like him. They want him here again this week over and over and over again. That's the people that we should be. And then guess what? We get the opportunity slowly and honorably, not go, not, not by playing Chris Tomlin in our cubicle going, I love Jesus. That doesn't do it. Work hard. How about work hard, yeah. right? If you're a plumber, be an amazing plumber, right? Nobody cares whether you're a Christian or not, putting the fish on your van. They want their toilet fixed. I'm just saying. And if that's you, hey, go for it. I'm just telling you, be good. You better be good with the fish on your van. It matters. We are reflecting the heart of God, the king of the universe. It's not guilt. It's, it's, it's our joy that we get to. I love that we, we get that. We, we, we get to work heartily as unto the Lord. I'm no longer enslaved working to a boss, but I'm, I'm freed working for Jesus. And it should change the way that we work. It should change what we, what we reflect to who God is. I love that. Daniel was that way in the way that he worked. He was excellent. He, he was in Babylon. He wasn't in his home country. He could have just kind of cruised around going, we were in exile. Instead, he just crushed it and work to the point where he had leverage before government people. No, not government people. The king of all of earth at the time, the king of Babylon ran everything and he had leverage. He was before kings because of what? It says that he was, there was nobody else that they could find was better than Daniel at work at what he did, at everything that he did. He just crushed it and what it gave him leverage. And eventually, guess what that king said? There's no God like Daniel's God. No God like Daniel's God. How did he do that? 
He worked heartily unto the Lord. He represented God in a wonderful, beautiful way and never, ever sacrificed his faith along the way. That's why he ended up getting thrown in the lion's den. It's like, well, I'm still gonna pray. I'm still gonna do the things that the world that I live in doesn't necessarily like because I'm obeying the God. I'm connected to the God. I won't be removed from the God that I love. It's an amazing, amazing thing that he did. And I think for, for me and for you, it's easy to cruise into the area of, okay, so we're supposed to do everything perfect in church. You know, if that's the case, then there's a few things I need to fix, right? Like, and, and it's interesting, you know, John Piper wrote an article about professionalism in church. Maybe we've gone too far. And I think the article was well-placed. Like the idea that every, like, have we gotten to so, to so much to the point that, you know, it's like a Gestapo. It's like, you know, people are very nervous that work for churches and, um, you know, the professionalism and people were like, amen. And people posted so much on it. Like it was like people were, you know, I was reading it. It was like, and then he posted another one the next week. He said, I just want to make a correction for some people that think that, that like being excellent doesn't matter. He's like, please don't play crappy music. Joe's John Piper. He's like, hey, I just want to let you know you missed it. When I said, don't make it all about professionalism, he's saying, don't miss the fact that we, we are pushing towards the supernatural. And if we're if we find our churches and we end up being just professional and we miss the supernatural, then you've missed it. But he said, for the love of St. Christopher, please play skillfully as unto the Lord, right? He's like, we, we don't want to be bad at that. We don't want to be, a, and he, they, he says in their church, they call it um, undistracting excellence. In other words, we want to get out of the, as a worship team, as preachers and teachers, as people that are curating buildings, we want to make, we want to get out of the way. We don't want to create distraction by hitting the wrong notes on the bass right? But we also don't want to be the guy kicking over the amp. You know, he's got the sweet hair and the tight leather pants up here either, right? <laughs> There's undistracting excellence is a good way to say, to say that. For me, I mean, when we get to that, to that place, I think this, this value can make people misunderstand what, the, the point that I think God's making in his word. It is not about perfection. It's about reflection. It is not about perfectionism in church. It's about reflectionism. We are to reflect the heart of God. That changes. Jesus is the perfection. That is not our job. We can't do that job. He's the only one that could do that job. We've received his perfection. And guess what we're supposed to do? We reflect that imperfectly. Like Leslie said, we can't. That's, the, that's where the pressure's off for us is that God has created us. It's just like the moon flying in the sky. Louis Giglio used to do this illustration. He's like, look, the moon is beautiful, but outside the sun, it's not. It's a flying pile of dirt. It is. But we, we, we stare at it and go, oh my goodness. And the moon the entire time is going, yes, I'm just a flying dirt bag. <laughs> Shining. This guy over here is the one that's doing all the work. That's what we get to do as we reflect, as we do the things that God's created us to do. I mean, we shouldn't have to, when I think about the church and the way that we do things, we shouldn't have to travel to 1997 to meet Jesus because we haven't changed the plants in the foyer or the green carpet. Like we should, no time travel to meet Jesus. You can come into the 22nd century or 21st century. I mean, and, and it's just, we, we've, we get caught up in what we can and can't do. And I think God's so creative and he says, yes. Now, again, I think there's a point where we get a check in our spirit and go, hmm, Maybe that might've been too much. And that's probably right. But we also don't wanna roll into that place of thinking that we shouldn't do things or using the idea that it doesn't matter to be lazy. You know, a buddy of mine walked into the, to the church a couple years ago and it was right after our cleaning crew came through here and I loved it. 
And it was a little bit of pride, but also, but he was like, he goes, what's that smell? I was like, that's clean, my friend. That's what that smell is. He goes, we need to get some of that in my church. And I'm like, you do need to get some of that in your church. It should be clean, right? It's the simple things, the granular level, getting down to that, to that place. It's interesting reading psychology today. I was reading about spaces and what it does to the heart and the soul. Like when you walk into a room um, and it, the title of the article was Spaces That Set You Free. And I, I'm spatially wired. Like I like that kind of thing. Um, but I thought as a church that's carrying the gospel, we should have places that people walk into and it sets them free, right? That every, the attention to detail is not over the top, but it should, it should, it should be clean. It should be a place where you're like, I can live here and breathe here. You know, I can, and also I can let my hair down here. Like having Leslie come up and kind of set the table and say, I'm not perfect. I woke up today and wanted to pull my hair out because things were like dismantling. Like it's It Matters Sunday. And there's like, somebody pulled tape off a wall in one of the rooms and it was like, there was a big stripe with, there was no paint. And I'm like, it doesn't matter, you know? And I'm like, we're all running around trying to make things right. But it's like, you know what? At the end of the day, you know, we want God to reign here. And we want, we want to create spaces where people can experience Jesus and remove all those distractions, which leads me to the third thing. Why does it matter? Because you matter to us and to God. If you read Romans 8, starting in verse 32, it says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? I love that. If anything does does anything to the heart and, and let me know that, that I matter to God is when I read Romans 8. And I, and I, just those words, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. And that's the supernatural driving force for me as a pastor. And I think it should be for us as the saints, as we, because we've been invited into something, we get to invite others into something. We get to create spaces. We get to create places where people can come. It's just like when you're hosting at your house. I love hosting at the house. It's like put some candles around and incense, depending on where you are in in the world. And you, you put stuff out, you clean the house, you get everything prepared and you invite people in. Not because you're proud of like, look what I've done, you know, and some of us are, so we're proud of the house. But you, you're inviting people, you want them to say, I, I, I prepared for you. I care. When the girls do Oasis, it will be, we spared no expense because we want you to, we, we know that life is hard and God is good because that's their mantra at Oasis. We, we, want, we want them to come in and be surprised. When, when they have a cupcake, they, I mean, and this is no big deal. We can get them from Publix, but they're handmade and we like them to be handmade. That's a, that's a detail. That's an it matters detail, but it says, hey, I mean, that's why I love, it's like people like Nancy Trifoletti, she has a place here at Ocean City Church because she can bake like crazy. You talk about using a gift. I know some people just have, I know you probably came to know Jesus through a cupcake. It, it, is, it is the body of Christ and it matters. It's so beautiful when people come in and they're like, their mind is blown by the frosting or they're just sitting there staring at it. And I'm like, somebody just had a spiritual experience. And it, it's, it's this idea that we spared no expense because he spared no expense. We, want to, we were inviting people into the unending ocean of grace that comes through Jesus alone. Why would we not? Why would we not make it 
good. Why would we not say, we were waiting for you. We prepared for you because we love you because Jesus loves you. It's what we want to do as a church. I see the guys out in the parking lot and we got a different kind of parking lot. Like, I'm like when they're sweeping and doing the detail stuff, like why do you clean up? And this is not like the church across the ditches parking lot. I mean, Saturday night's here different. So when you're cleaning up, that is a job. But like, uh, we, they bring their kids. Like I see guys out there and they got their two kids and they got the little gloves on and they better have gloves on too. And they're cruising around and they're sweeping up the stuff. And I'm like, that is just a beautiful representation of people saying, we wanna make it, we, wanna, we want you to be able to come in here and not look at the vomit, you know, whatever it is that happened the night before. We wanna, we wanna make a place and make a space for you. Students' Halloween party was just off the charts. All the detail was crazy. The costumes that the leaders had on just themselves, I'm like, the amount of time they spent, because it mattered. Parents' night out, they had this little superhero theme in here, crazy. In every room, there was stuff hanging everywhere. I'm like, how do you wanna get all this down? And time for church. Um, and it was every, it was like amazing. And the games that they had, I mean, just the fact that people were willing to sacrifice on a Friday night, the craziness that went on here Friday night, I just, it's because they inside, the gospel has changed them from the inside out. And they're like, man, it matters. I want people to be able to go out on a date and know that we love them, that we care for them, that Jesus loves them. You know, I was thinking about the details and my wife asked me a question and it made me, it just kind of made me think of this because I don't want to miss the fact that people are hurting and, and, you're, and there's people who've walked in with broken hearts. And you're like, you're talking about, you know, fabuloso smell in the hallways. And I really don't need that. And I was just, I, I, was, I was thinking about this, this pack of gum. And this is, to most people, that doesn't mean much. It's a, it's a detail. Like it's just extra long lasting flavor spearmint gum. And you're, why, why does that, that matter? But this, this pack of gum means a lot to me. It's a detail that mattered for me. You see, this is my dad's favorite gum. And some of you probably remember when he discovered it, he let everybody on the planet know, have you ever tried extra long lasting spearmint gum? It will set you free. You better go to Walgreens, because I did it. I, I bought all of it. I mean, all of it. And my dad died in March and uh, it was sad, unexpected, and I miss him a lot. And uh, October 27th, just a few days ago, was my dad's birthday. And my good friend, who I love and I've known for a long time and knows my dad, brought extra, long-lasting spearmint gum to my house with some mojo wings from Publix, which Publix doesn't even make mojo wings anymore. They had to call them and say, you gotta make the mojo special wings because it's my friend's dad who passed away in March's birthday today. He needs the mojo's wings. And when I, see, when I see that, and when I experience that from church people, because these people are church people that love me, it doesn't just let me know that they love me and that they care about something as simple and as detail-oriented as extra long-lasting spearmint gum. It lets me know that Jesus loves me, that he knows how to walk me through a difficult day and that the details matter and they matter to him. Everything that you're going through, everything that you're going through, Brett, everything that, that we're walking through in life, 
to him, to, to other people, and sometimes it doesn't matter. We think, oh, that's just a stupid detail that doesn't matter. There's bigger fish to fry. He cares. He, he cares so much, more than we could ever imagine. We're gonna, there's gonna be moments in your life that you thought you were so alone, that you thought nobody would listen, and when you see Jesus in heaven, he's gonna go right to that moment, and he's gonna sit down and go, I was there. I remember what you said to yourself. I remember what the enemy said. I remember what I had to say louder. He cares and he loves you. And that's why we have the table because it, it, it matters. Everything about communion today points to this beautiful reality that he cares. And he wanted us to never forget, right? He got with his friends and he, he told them and they didn't even know really what was going on. And he, he was getting ready to give his life away. He was getting ready to be, be obedient to the father who didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, right? And he takes the bread and he says, this, this matters, guys. Don't forget this. And he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. In the same way, he took the cup He said, this is a new covenant. It was an old covenant. There was a temple with lots of detail because it mattered. There's lots of opulence, lots of gold. And there was one way in for one guy, one sacrifice for a lot of people, but everything has changed. That was all pointing to the Savior and the Savior has come and there's a new covenant in my blood poured out. And this blood, it matters. Keep the blood in the worship songs, people, because it matters. People try to remove that, the, the cross of Jesus Christ because it's an awfully bloody song. It's what it's all about. Poured out blood, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And it's echoing into every moment of our lives when we take communion. He's saying, every time you drink this cup, every time you break this bread, you remember the details of my death, of my, my burial, and the fact that I'm alive. And he's alive. Don't do this flippantly. The apostle Paul would say, don't do this, not, you know, just because it's the thing we always do in church. It's a sacrament. We gotta do this stuff. No, it was purposeful that we would remember. It would jog our memory in the worst moments and in the best moments of our life.